let's get back into our um, series in the book of Ephesians. To start, I want to show you something. I'm going to show you something right here that I got in the mail two weeks ago. Pretty well put together thing, cost some money, somebody some money to produce this. You know what this is? This is a prophetic timeline of all the apocalyptic events that are leading up to Christ's return. And on this chart, and mice type on this side, I can't even read it with my bifocals hardly. I can right there. Um, it gives all these dates of all these things that are going to happen. It says in here, now no cheering when I say this, I mean that. It says Barack Obama is the Antichrist. It says the Pope is the false prophet from Revelation. It says and gives a date for it when the U.S. dollar is going to crash. So based on this, you need to pull all your money out and buy gold, um, which might not be a bad idea. We don't know, though. It gives the potential date for a polar shift that will lead to tsunamis that will flood from 50 to 100 miles of all the coasts in the world and all the people living around the coast, or many of them will die. Pastor Mitch, you need to pay attention to this. It says that there is going to be a Yellowstone supervolcano. Those guys are going to Yellowstone on vacation in a couple weeks. A Yellowstone supervolcano that's going to hit and decimate that whole part of the nation and throw ash into the air and change our whole... Our whole um, environment it gives what is the potential date of the rapture of the church and in all of the things that it gives it gives scripture verses to say that these things are going to happen now i'm sure the person who developed that chart is very well intentioned i really do believe that i i believe they spent an incredible amount of time they've got a, an incredible imagination but an incredible amount of time and a lot of money to produce this and to mail it. They mailed this to churches everywhere. I don't know, they mailed it to any homes. None of you got this in your mail probably at home. But to churches um, all over the nation, they, they mailed this out. I'm sure they're well intended. They spend a lot of time, a lot of money on it. And honestly, even though I have a smirk on my face, I'm not trying to make a joke about them. I don't know them. Um, I'm not trying to do that, and I'm not trying to say that Scripture doesn't give us some glimpse into what's to come in future events. But I do want to say that I have seen many of these types of, of uh, documents produced over the years, and I dismiss them all for a simple reason. Because Jesus himself said something in the Bible that is undisputable. He says, no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, not even Jesus himself. So date setting, like this guy does, all these different dates. Date setting, naming who is who in end time events is improper. And this is what I know. All the past attempts that people have done to produce these things, and I have seen them forever, flip charts, all these things, lines drawn, how it's all tying together. Every one of them is proven false. And maybe 
most importantly, every one of them ends up bringing ridicule upon the church. Because people go, you're a bunch of lunatic Christians. They see this and they go, well, that's what you believe. No. Question is, why am I bringing this up today? Why did I bring you my mail? I, didn't, I could have brought you my We Energies bill and talked about it. I didn't do that. I brought you my mail. Why? Because the verses that we come to today in Ephesians deal with this idea in a broad sense. They deal with the idea of what I want to call is ultimate things. God's great and final and ultimate purpose for man and for earth, for the heavens, for everything. It's going to talk about what's the ultimate future to be. Now to understand this, uh, we understand what the Apostle Paul is wanting to say to us about this. I want to put it in context today. We're going to be looking at two verses that deal with God's ultimate purpose, his future. And these two verses come in the middle of this long run-on sentence that we've been looking at for the past number of weeks, verses 3 to verses 14 of chapter 1. And it's a sentence, this long sentence, where Paul, we've been seeing every week, is explaining the wonderful blessings that come to those who use this term, who are in Christ. Blessings that are beyond any blessings that the world could ever offer and blessings that therefore are uniquely Christian and they're only for people who identify with Christ, who know Jesus, as he says, are in Christ. So Paul is framing this ultimate future as a blessing for Christians. Not only will it be a blessing when it's experienced, he's going to talk about the future, But it is now a blessing because it lets you and me rest in the fact that God has things in his control. So there's no need for Christians to get too worried. No need to get all riled up by the things that come in the mail or the things that are written in books by even well-known preachers about cataclysmic events that are happening tied to moons or whatever else or things that are preached on TV, that he's trying to say, guess what? There is a blessed peace that comes for those who are in Christ. So let's read these two verses today. And I'm going to read these verses today from a little different translation. I'm going to read them from the New Living Translation because I think it is much clearer than the the normal translation I read, which is the New American Standard. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 from the New Living Translation. And it says this, it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. It's pretty pretty straightforward, right? A plan to be fulfilled by his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. And we'll stop right there. In these verses, Paul makes a transition in this long run-on sentence. He, he, um, he goes from looking at the blessings, this whole list of blessings we've been looking at every week, of being in Christ, the blessings of, of being in Christ that have been relating to what God has done already and is currently doing, to now turning his focus towards the future and looking at what God is going to do as future blessings. 
verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1, are things that God has done and is doing. Things like he predestined us to adoption and he chose us before creation and he's redeemed us and he's forgiven us. All things that he has done and is doing. But now in verses 9 and 10, he switches his focus and he looks into the future to express what the blessed future is for those who are in Christ. And he says here, he says, here is what the future has. He says, God has made known to us, to us, to whom? To Christians, those in Christ, a mystery. And he's revealing his mysterious plan. And he says, this plan, this mystery is this. At the right time. That's important. At the right time. At God's right time. When he chooses. Because he's in charge of everything. God's never nervous. He's in charge. He has a plan. At God's right time, he's going to do something. You know what he's going to do? Scripture says here, he will bring everything together. Under Christ's authority. Friends, that's the picture that Paul paints of the future. That on a day of God's choosing, everything in heaven and on earth, that's everything, will be brought together under the authority of Jesus. Now maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal to you. Maybe you go, I like those charts. Names, naming, dates, this is what's going to happen. Some of you get into reading all that stuff. And you know what? It's okay to, to be curious about it. And you read this and you go, that doesn't sound like a very big deal. But this statement is probably the most profound and most important statement that Paul has made so far in the letter to the people in Ephesus that we've been looking at. You see, because to this point... All of what Paul has said has been very personal to us, very individualistic. What I received as an adopted son of God, what redemption means for my life, that I've been set free from the slavery. Remember we talked about redemption, being set free from the slavery of sin by the empowerment or the payment of Jesus' blood? That's all about me. But here in verses 9 and 10, he looks to the future and he sees something bigger and greater than our personal salvation. In this verse, we are are lifted above the matter of our personal salvation into the realm of ultimate things. God's great, final, and ultimate purpose for everything, all of heaven and all of earth. And Paul, as he talks about that, he frames this as a blessing. He says, as Christians, we know before it happens what the ultimate outcome for the world is and all of heaven and all of people is. He says this is it. Everything will be brought together under the the headship of Jesus. And he will rule and he will reign and he will have no adversaries and all those who are in Christ will be shown at that time to be on the winning side, to be on the right side. Friends, this is the ultimate blessing. We know the final outcome we know what the future holds. You see, I don't know many of the things that the future holds. A lot of people act like they do know, but we don't really know. Said it, what's going to happen next Sunday? He said, well, I don't know, the Lord willing. We don't know what the future really holds. You know, will the Camachos make it? Maybe not. Maybe their car will break down. We don't know what the future holds. I don't know if this new nuclear deal with Iran... Iran, I was corrected by the lady from when I said Iran to the missionary we had a while back, and she's from Iran, and she said I'm from Iran. 
and uh, she was being very kind. So I don't know if the, the new nuclear deal with Iran will eventually lead to an attack on Israel and then fall out for America. And as some people say, very likely could lead into World War III. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to have a heart attack. I just found out that my, my uncle had another heart attack. He lives on rabbit food because he had a heart attack when he was 43. I just found out he had one two weeks ago. You know, I don't know if I'm going to have a heart attack. I've got the genes for it. You know, I don't know. I don't know if the U.S. economy is going to rise or fall next year. I don't know. I don't know who's going to become president. You know, of all the candidates running, I don't have any idea who's going to become president. But I do know about the ultimate future. And this is it. Jesus wins. That's the future. Jesus wins. This is one of those points at which the Christian and the non-Christian are clearly different. There's no connection. The Christian should be and is interested in the ultimate plan of God. And he knows that history will end in a certain way. But the non-Christian has no certainty of anything and is concerned with temporary things, things that, this, that are of this lifetime. That's a huge difference. The Apostle Paul is trying to express that here, and, and he dealt with it at another place in Scripture that I want to think about right now. Paul dealt with this idea when he was writing one time to the church at Corinth. And in the 15th chapter of the first verse that he wrote to them, he was dealing with the, the certainty that we as Christians have in the future rule of Christ, where we will be um, resurrected with him to become like him and to be with him. And he's dealing with that with the people of Corinth. And in that writing to the Corinthians, he says that if we don't have this confidence in the future of being resurrected and being with him, then we are just like everyone else in the world who's without Christ. He says, so then, we should think and act like everyone else in the world. And Paul says this, if, if we don't know the future, he says, then, if the, if the dead are not raised, if we don't know the future of our resurrection, he says, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You want to know the, the, the current way we say that in our culture? And it's pervasive all over the world, including in the church. And God wants to help us see something so much clearer here. We don't say, let's eat and drink, let, let's... let's um, Let's, uh, um, if that let, us, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We don't say that. You know what we say? Before I die, I need to fulfill my bucket list. It's the exact same thinking. Before I die, I've got a bucket list. And I've got to do all these things. That's the, that's the modern version. Friends, if one doesn't know the future, that they are secure in Jesus and will be part of his eternal rule over all of heaven and earth. We don't know that. We don't have anything. In heaven, we don't know where heaven's there, where everything will be better than anything on someone's bucket list. Then there is no security. So one ought to just live like everyone else who doesn't know Jesus. Live for today. Live for this lifetime. So eat, drink, be merry. Live to fulfill your bucket list because that's all that there is. But we know better. God says something different. We know the future. One day, at God's perfect time, He is going to bring everything together in heaven and on earth 
under the rule of Jesus. And friends, this is why I get so surprised when I find Christians that are shaken by temporary things of the world. Economic turmoil, health issues, political unrest. These are temporary. But we are not temporary. We are eternal with a certain, a guaranteed future. Friends, there is a day coming when God will bring all things together under the headship of Jesus. That day will be a restoration of the original harmony and unity that once existed in heaven and on earth before sin entered the equation. You see, originally, there was harmony in all of creation. In the book of Colossians, the writer tries to to give us a glimpse into this. Listen to what it says in Colossians, and we have a slide of this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. It's talking about really the original creation, what is supposed to be under all under the lordship and the authority of Christ. And listen to what it says. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all things together. Look what it says. All things united. Everything created by Jesus and sustained by Jesus. Heaven and earth, visible and invisible, rulers and authorities, everything functioning under the lordship, the headship, the control of Jesus Christ. We see a picture of that harmony in the original state in Eden described in Genesis. Man and animals living in harmony. Man and God living in harmony. Man and earth living in harmony. No tsunamis, no earthquakes, no floods, no wildfires in California. Man and earth. You understand that there's disharmony between man and earth because of sin. Everything's disharmony. Man and woman in the original Eden living in harmony. Perfect harmony in all these realms. The Lord Jesus Christ was over all, over angels and all powers and authorities and dominions, over the world and the animals and the fruit of the earth. And he took that all and he said, man, he made man to be the Lord of his creation over all the animals and all of earth's resources. All was perfect in absolute harmony. But friends, harmony was destroyed by rebellion. First of all, there was a revolt. There was a rebellion in heaven itself. The scriptures tell us that the devil rebelled and he fell and and a large number of angels followed him and fell with him. But that rebellion didn't stop in heaven. The devil was thrust out and went to earth and, and there he tempted man and man rebelled also and fell And this rebellion destroyed the harmony. Disharmony in heaven. Disharmony 
on earth. This harmony between God and man, and between man and man, and between earth and man, all, everything, suffer the disunity that rebellion brought. But all along, God had a plan. Remember we said at God's timing. God's in control of everything. All along, God had a plan at the perfect time. God would begin to restore the broken harmony. The process of restoration of harmony began when he sent Jesus, who himself is the creator, as, in, as a man into the earth, into the world, to redeem mankind, bringing forgiveness and salvation to those who would turn to him and follow him, restoring that harmony between God and man. Salvation, friends, reunites us with God. And then he's restoring the harmony between man and man as Jesus comes into our lives, one person at a time, as people become transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. We love one another. We're brought together in Christ. And the scriptures say this, we're in harmony for this reason, because we all have one spirit. You know what's happened sometimes in the church world? We forget that. You ever get annoyed by somebody in church? Don't raise your hand. Thank you. I should you know what we have that no one else has? A restoration of harmony. Because God has placed His Spirit within us when we're His children. And if there's disharmony in the church, you know why it is? It's because we're self-willed and we're not following the Spirit. That's why. So this process of restoration began when he sent Jesus and he restores harmony between God and man and he's restoring harmony between man and man and harmony will one day be completely restored and everything will once again be in perfect unity under the lordship of Jesus. Friends, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to that. In, his, in God giving him revelation, he looks forward to that day and he gives a prophetic picture of what that will be like when God brings everything together in harmony and restoration. And he listen to how he describes it in, in Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 6. It says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. In other words, the lion's not eating the cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. And yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the seas fill, the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne. Who's that? Jesus. In that day, the heir to David's throne, Jesus, will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. The perfect harmony that will be restored will be harmony in man and between men. Harmony in heaven 
and on earth, all under the headship of Jesus. Friends, everything will again be united in Him. And the most wonderful part is that when this happens, it will never be undone again. Friends, that's Paul's message. Paul didn't write this. Paul wrote that. That's his message. You want to know the future? You want to, you want to predict the future? We have the blessing of living in the reality of a certain and secure future. Ephesians says, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on, on, on earth. Now, what happens between now and then? It's going to happen. I don't know. I'm not sure who the next president will be. I don't know what the economy is going to do. We can't necessarily change that. But no one can stop what God's ultimate plan is. It's a secure and certain future for those who are in Christ. So you know what? If you are in Christ, you know Jesus is your Savior and Lord. You know what God's, the blessing is for you? You're supposed to rest in that future. When everybody else is in a tizzy around you, you stand on solid ground and you go, but I know the future. I know who wins. It's Jesus and I'm on his side. So you rest in the future, but you don't just rest. You rest and then you work. You know what you work for? You work to see others come to Christ. You work. You put effort. You put energy. You make it your highest priority to take everybody who doesn't know Jesus and help them, lead them, bring them to know Christ so they can enter into that same rest that you get here and is promised for all of eternity. So if you're in Christ, you rest in your future and you work to see others overcome or others come to know Christ. But what if you're not in Christ? You sit here today, you say, Pastor Mark, I know this, I don't know God. I know this, Jesus is not my Lord and He's not my Savior. Well, here's what I can tell you based on God's Word, not mine. God is calling you by name. That's why you're here. You wouldn't be here for any other reason. God is calling you by name to Himself today. And you have a choice. You can respond to His call. And you can find real life and, and, uh, and real rest in Him. Or you can live a self-willed life and go your own way. He doesn't force anything. He just gives us the choice. He says, come to me. And that's what He does today. Would you join me? In praying, I just invite to have you stay seated today because we have one more thing to do. Would you just pray with me this morning? Dear Jesus, we know the world is in a frenzy. Lord, if we watch the news for more than five minutes, our head begins to spin and we see all the stuff of the world and we, we can even be sucked into the unrest, the disharmony of the world. Well, God, you have something better for your children. You want us to live in 
harmony with you that leads to rest in you because we know the future. And so, Father, for every one of your children in this place, we pray, God, help us, God, to to live at peace in a world of turmoil. And we'll shine like stars when we do that because we'll be so much different than the people around us. But then let us, God, use us, help us to see people who don't know you yet so we can just not convert them to a church that's nothing to do with it. We can help them come to meet you, the creator of the world, the all the sustainer of the universe, so they can come into a relationship with the divine and they can find real life in you. God, help us to see that nothing else is more valuable than investing our energy into that. Then maybe you're here today as we're praying. And you say, you know what? I know that I don't know the Lord. I've never given my life to Christ. But today something inside of me is saying that's for me today. This is for me. This is for you. I want to give you a chance to respond. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, a private moment, no one's looking around. If you say, I'm ready today, I want to ask Christ into my life. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to do something bold right now. Between you, me, and God, because no one else will look around, I want you just to, to raise up your hand. When I see it, I'm going to ask you to put it back down. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer. Say right now, Jesus, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, Heavenly Father, your hands are raised. I want you just to pray this prayer. Matter of fact, I'm going to invite the whole church to pray this prayer out loud, even though we've prayed already, but I want you to join with those who have raised their hands this morning. We're going to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I need you today. I know that I can't make it on my own. And I'm understanding that sin in my life is keeping me from you. And so now I come to you and I ask you, Lord, to receive me and to wash away my sin. Make me brand new. Make me your child today. And on this day, I give my life to you. I'm not going to turn away. I'm going to walk with you. So Jesus, thank you that from this day forward, as I walk with you, my future is secure because I am